In this episode of Boss Files, Time Magazine dubbed her the most powerful woman on the internet. YouTube CEO Susan Wojcicki was one of the first women hired at Google in the early 90s. That was after she luckily rented out her garage to Google founders Larry Page and Sergey Brin. Well, today she is the only female CEO at Google, helping grow YouTube to over a billion users a month. She and her team are certainly changing the way we watch content and changing television as we know it. She's also pushing for more women in top roles at tech companies. All of this while leading the charge for a generous parental leave policy. I sat down with her in October at the Fortune Most Powerful Women Summit. You've been described by Time Magazine as the most powerful woman on the internet. (laughs) How does that sit with you? Well, I think there are a lot of powerful women on the internet, but I wish there were more. Um, I think the internet really could use a lot more women. And um, one of the things that I've tried to do is use the position that I'm in to try to encourage the next generation of girls to think about the internet as a career opportunity and learn the skills so we can have even more women on the internet in the future and creating the internet and changing the internet and growing um, and changing our world. Let's not forget Ada Lovelace, right? I mean, the first computer programmer in the world was a woman. People Mm -hmm. seem to have forgotten that. Yeah, I think people have forgotten the role that some early women played in computer science, and Ada Lovelace is a great example of that. And, um, I mean, I think there have been lots of women that have... Um, really made a difference. Grace Hopper is a great example of that too. Mm -hmm. And so there have been many talented women over history and celebrating those voices and what they've done is really important so that the women of today and the young girls of today can see there are all these role models, there are all these women that were successful and they made a difference. So diving into the business, over a billion people watch video on YouTube. The power of the YouTube creator has become so evident. I mean, you talk about some of these folks. I mean, this mm-hmm. Swedish gamer, right? PewDiePie. PewDiePie. He has 43 million people yeah. watching, followers. Yeah. Why? Even more. Even Every, more it keeps now. changing. It keeps changing. Why is now the age of the YouTube star? What is it about now? I think one of the things about now and why we've seen the YouTube stars rise is Um, Well, first of all, we have over a billion people on the platform. And so um, we're now at a scale where these where YouTube stars can really have a lot of influence and a lot of users. Mm -hmm. Um, I think also just the fact that um, um, mobile has become so successful. So we have over 50 percent of our the majority of our views happening on mobile. And so wherever you are, if you're at the train station or you you have five minutes here or there, you can just pull out your phone and you can watch them. And so just the actual number of hours watched has really grown significantly. Well, mobile, that would make sense, right? Because you can't take your television with you. You cannot take your television with you. That's one of the disadvantages of it. (laughs) You've said before, Susan, that that you look at YouTube as the Google of 10 years ago. What's Mm -hmm. the subtext there? What does that mean you can become? Yeah, well, I think YouTube is still really early in its trajectory because we think about video and we think about TV, yeah. um, and it's uh, we're still at that beginning. So you look at TV, and it's really beginning to change. 
Um, like when I grew up, I mean, TV was the most important thing. That was the only thing that we really had for entertainment or video. But if I look at my kids and I look at how they're entertained, it's totally different. Um, if we look at the numbers, we mm -hmm. see that in the last five years, the 18 to 24 year old segment has actually decreased their viewing by 40%. Of television. Uh, of television viewing has decreased by 40%. Wow. And so they're shifting their behavior to online so that it can be on demand, they have more choice, they can watch it cross device on their mobile devices. And um, so we've really seen a dramatic change in how people are um, watching video. But what does that mean? If you look at YouTube like the Google of 10 years ago, Google may make still most of its money in one or two ways, right? Mm -hmm. um, but Google's building cars and glasses and moonshots and what does that mean the potential is for YouTube in terms of branching into other sectors and spaces and taking on other complex tasks? Yeah. Well, I think just taking on video is a tremendous <laughs> opportunity and task. And so I think for the near future, our goal is just to think about how do we build a platform for the next generation of media companies? How do we continue to innovate in the, all these new video experiences? Does that mean like VR? Well, VR is going to be a really interesting area for us. We actually um, have a really large collection already of VR. Um, we have 360 video. And so the ability to experience something that and feel like you're really there, um, that's just going to change the way that we consume video. Do you think we'll be walking around with goggles on? Like the Oculus, maybe a little thinner and more, more sleek. But I mean, are we... Are, are, is that the future of how we consume our video? Instead of looking down at our phone, are we going to be wearing it? I mean, I, I'm hoping that the way we wear it becomes easier and more attractive <laughs> um, and really easy to put on, um, really easy to just watch It'll that amazing It'll have to be to become mainstream. Yeah, and that it's not tethered, um, you're not plugged into something. <laughs> um, and, but, you know, there's some videos that I've watched that are so compelling on VR that the video might only be five or six minutes, but yeah. after that five or six minutes, I feel like I was gone for an hour. I feel like I really went somewhere different and experienced a different world. So you're planning for a world where a lot of us are wearing something to watch it instead of looking down at our phone. Well, we're, we're thinking across all devices. So right now, mobile is really important yeah. to us. TV is actually really important for us. Mm -hmm. So we've actually seen a, a um, over 100% year-on-year growth of our TV viewing. Mm. Um, so people watching YouTube on sure. their TV. As they get more upgraded television sets and they get the devices that make them able to do it. Yeah, because now it's just a click away. So mm -hmm. if you have a smart TV, it's one click for a network, right. um, a cable network, and then it's one click for YouTube. And or Chromecast. So, so Chromecast works, that's a really, um, $25 device, you can plug it into your mm -hmm. TV, and then you can cast anything from your phone onto yeah. your TV. So there are all these different ways. So I think VR will be really important, but it will be one way to consume media. Okay. And um, we'll have our traditional TVs, and we'll have mobile devices, we have tablets. Um, and so the idea that you can just take your content with you wherever you want to go and have everything be cross-device. You are a mother of five. Yes. Bravo. Thank I you. have one, and I'm like both hands are full. Um, but you get a lot of your sort of information, know-how, being tapped into what is cool and hot and trending from your kids, right? Mm -hmm. Can you take me into the world of your household and what they say to you and how that influences how you lead YouTube? Yeah. Uh, well, so 
Um, so I try to watch my kids' behavior, okay. and I try to get insights from that um, and understand like how are they thinking about media, what are they watching, and then I try to marry that with quantitative data that we have in the office. So what's coming out of our user groups or the overall stats that we have. Um, but they're really helpful in terms of giving me feedback about um, what's really working for them or what they love or what they don't love. And um, they love to introduce me to new creators. Okay. And um, Give us an example. What have they taught you that you've taken back and has actually helped you run the company better? Um, what have they, have they um, brought for me? Um, well, like one of the things that um, I noticed when I first joined YouTube is I went and I asked all my kids, like, how do you use YouTube? And it turned out that one of my sons had over a hundred creators that he subscribed to. And I had no idea. I was like, wow, this explains a lot. Yeah. Um, and so, but then I realized the way that he navigated with those hundred creators was, wasn't, it wasn't very um, convenient. And so we actually changed our interface, um, not just for him, but because we saw this universally, we saw that we had some um, users who had a lot of creators that they followed and they needed a better way to be hmm. able to interact with Does he with know? That, does he get a cut of whatever profit that brought in? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, they, they, don't, they sadly don't get a cut. Yes. But I think, you know, one of the things that actually surprised me, um, and so anyone who's a parent of teens knows that having teens in the house is, is challenging. And one of the things that really surprised me is just how... Um, how bonding it can be to really care mm. about what your children are watching on TV. And now I have that for my job, right? I, so when they're watching a new creator, I'm like, oh, who is that creator? Tell me about them. Um, why do you like them? And, and just the fact that I actually care and I genuinely care yeah. has really helped my relationship with my kids. And, um, and we have a great relationship with them. But I think the fact that we can bond over that has sure. been really nice. You, I mean, YouTube has just exploded in terms of users, viewers, age 18 to 49. You now have more than any network, any mm -hmm. television network. Yes. With mobile alone. With mobile alone. Yes. And that's only 50% of the consumption. Um, yeah, it's the majority of the consumption. I mean, that's, that's amazing. So YouTube reaches more 18 to 49-year-olds than television, network, cable, you name it. But what about older viewers? I mean, do you care about hooking older viewers? And if so, how are you going to do it? We definitely care about older viewers. And I mean, I think one of the things that I've seen with older viewers is they use YouTube a lot to learn something new. And so YouTube as an educational platform is just amazing. And so for example, one um, story that really stuck with me was this woman who said to me, my husband recently just passed away mm. and I had to fix everything in the house. I had to do all these tasks that sure. I had never had to do before. And the way I learned how to do them was by going to YouTube and looking it up. And that really helped me. So she you was used saying, it to Thank fix you. her car. I used it. Yeah, I use, I use it to fix my car. I use it to learn how to fix stuff in the house, how to cook something. Um, I mean, my kids use it for our like learn how to tell jokes, mm. how to tell a tie, how to do a magic trick. So it's 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 an amazing educational platform. Let's talk about parental leave. You have a very unique lens that you look at parental leave mm -hmm. through. Not only are you a mother of five, you were Google's first female employee, mm -hmm. employee number 16. Mm -hmm. You were the first person at Google to take maternity leave. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Did it even exist when you took it? Or did you sort of build it? Well, there, when I first started um, 
I, I mean, I don't think we even really had an HR department, so it wasn't really clear what my just maternity like, policy hey, should Hey, Larry, be. hey, Sergey, I'm going to take a little time off. Yeah, I think they were very generous. They were, they said, well, why don't you, you know, see what's industry standard and do what's industry standard, right? But they didn't know because like nobody had ever done it before at the company. And um, yeah, it was, um, it was definitely a confusing time. Well, fast forward, and now the company has increased maternity leave from 12 weeks to 18 weeks Mm -hmm. paid for mothers. Fathers Mm -hmm. get up to 12 weeks paid. Mm -hmm. You tweeted that that has resulted in the rate at which new mothers quit falling by 50%. Yeah. Yeah, so when we increased our um, maternity leave to 18 weeks, we saw the number of women who left Google cut by 50%. That's remarkable. It's, it really is remarkable. And, and that was really important for us. We wanted to retain women. We wanted to show them that Google cared, that they could be a mother and they could work at Google. And you know, just being a mother and sort of understanding some of the psychology behind that, I think 18 weeks, the babies and the mother are just at a very different place than they are, for example, than six weeks um, or even 10 weeks. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so um, we just saw that that turned out to be a great time for women to have off with their babies. Um, we also give um, the dads, we give them um, 12 weeks of leave. And I've heard a lot of really positive um, feedback on that, that it was also really important for them to have bonding time with the baby and with the family. It's one thing to give the time off, especially for dads. It's another thing for them to actually take it and feel mm-hmm. like they can take it. Are the mm-hmm. men taking it? They are taking they are. it. They are taking it and they really um, benefit from it. I've heard so much posit- positive um, um, feedback from Googlers and um, employees at YouTube who have taken that time. And, my and ho- sometimes they'll take it in different chunks. Sometimes sure. It's not like they'll always take the 12 weeks in the same period of time. Sometimes they'll take it and then it will give them an opportunity, for example, when the baby's a little older to go and to visit family, especially if the family is abroad um, in a faraway place. My husband took a month off, but mm-hmm. he's in, in an industry where that's very abnormal to mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, it made such a difference for me personally. That yeah. first month is really yeah. hard. Yeah. Um, but I, I wonder if you could speak to why you think it is that Silicon Valley has led on this. Mm-hmm. Now you see a lot of more traditional industries, the consulting, big, big four consulting firms, um, coming in sort of in lockstep with you guys. Yeah. I expect that Wall Street may do some to some extent. Mm-hmm. Why has Silicon Valley led? I think Silicon Valley has led on this um, because Silicon Valley at the end of the day is really focused on talent. It's a talent business, getting the right engineers, the right leaders. There's a shortage of getting the skill sets um, that we need. And Silicon Valley is also focused on having more women, more diversity. And so mm-hmm. um, in, a, in an industry that really values talent and values women, offering um, maternity leave was a great way to retain women and to make sure that they um, you know, see this as an industry where they can mm-hmm. be, a, be a parent and then also be a leader um, and, and do a great job at their, at their work. You guys do this, and mm-hmm. you can afford to do it. There is a, an enormous cost associated with having someone out of work for 18 weeks. You guys did the calculation. Clearly, the cost-benefit analysis mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. beneficial for you to give the time off because of retention. Mm-hmm. But for hourly workers, for people that work at, at fast food restaurants, yeah. um, they 
are the ones who frankly need it the most mm -hmm. and they often don't get it, mm -hmm. should paid leave be government mandated? And why is it that we are the only, well, there's two, there's two, as you've written about, two mm -hmm. countries, the U.S. and Papua New Guinea, out of 185 yeah. countries around the world that do not have government mandated paid leave. Yeah, I know. It's amazing that the, U that the U.S. and Papua New Guinea are the only two countries that do not offer paid maternal leave. Um, and I mean, I, when I, I, I think if you look at the data and for anyone who's had a baby, um, you know, the time right after you have a baby, you're still recovering. Um, um, and it's amazing to me that 25% of American women go back to work after 10 days, 10 and days. after 10 days. And, um, like after 10 days of having a baby most recently, I thought like, what would it be like if I went back to work now? And it would be horrible. Um, and so I think there's a real human cost mm -hmm. that happens when people are unable to um, be with their baby, to take the time to recover. Um, and I think it's, there's been a lot of studies on the value of breastfeeding, maternal depression, all of these other issues that um, we pay for as a society. And so um, giving babies and moms the time to be together and to recover is really important. What will the cost, Susan, be to society if America doesn't catch up, frankly, with the rest of the world and do something about this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, so I think one of the things that's been interesting is some of the states have actually implemented um, a, a paid um, medical leave program. So California is an example of one. And um, after they implemented it, um, they ran a study. Um, and um, what they saw is they saw the vast, vast majority of all of the um, respondents say that it, the business effect was positive to neutral and they saw increased morale and lower turnover and even more productivity. Mm -hmm. And so I think we talk about the cost of this, but when it's actually implemented and you have states like California, which are like um, you know, big states with lots of business, we see that the costs, um, again, that the, the businesses are seeing that it's good for business for mm -hmm. them to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And I think there are costs that we just don't see that happen in the medical side where there's increased maternal depression, um, increased sickness of the baby, maybe from less breastfeeding, um, all kinds of other long-term effects that um, clearly are having a cost to society. I mean, they've even been, I know you know these studies that show that every additional month a mother is home with a child, their mortality rate goes down, mm -hmm. that more mm -hmm. children die who are mm -hmm. left, you know, around the world without, without moms around. All right, let's transition to women in tech because you were the first woman who ever worked for Google, employee number 16. You're now the most senior woman. Give me your assessment of you know, what parity looks like for women in tech, because we are nowhere near that. Yeah. Um, well, so I think it would be great if um, we had more women in tech. Um, I mean, I, I look at it from where I am, and I see tech as this amazing technology that is changing our world. Um, it's, it's a force that is changing pretty much all parts of our society. And... It's really sad for me that we don't have enough women who are part of that. Mm -hmm. And so I compare this to um, the revolution where people were able to read and write for the first time. 
and the, and the printing press, right? The, yeah, I think it is that big in terms of how much our society is being changed. And so, you know, if we went back to when people were first learning to read and write, and we said, oh, you know, only 20% of the people who can write are going to be women, like, what would our society look like? Mm -hmm. Well, we wouldn't have as much great literature. We would have lots of points of view, lots of experiences that we weren't capturing and being able to understand. And I think it's the same thing with technology. When we're missing those women, there are lots of things that are not getting done, lots of points of view that, um, that we're missing. You've made the argument that it actually has a material impact on America's competitiveness. Mm -hmm. Make the case. I mean, if, if we look at technology, that is one of the biggest drivers that we have of growth. And so we want to be able to have everybody participate in this or have the skills to be able to participate in this engine of growth. Mm -hmm. And if we don't have, if we're not training the next generation, that's a challenge. And so I, I would recommend that we take computer science and we make it a mandatory skill in high school. Um, like we look at what we make mandatory, um, students take biology, they take chemistry, um, but yet we don't expect them all to become doctors or pharmacists. Right, right. And so if you look at, well, if they're taking biology, can't they also take computer science given that everything is moving digital, everything is requiring computers going forward, to give them the digital literacy skills could be so powerful. So why not? Because New York City has actually taken a lead and they, they're doing mm -hmm. this more and more. Mm -hmm. I mean, what's standing in the way? Yeah, so different states have started, like New York City as an example, San Francisco. Um, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's hard. Um, like, we don't have enough teachers. We don't necessarily have enough computers. It's, it's, it's expensive. Um, but you know, we look at the cost and what are the benefits. And mm -hmm. I think if you look at a long-term approach here, you can see it's going to pay off if we can have a whole generation where everybody is literate. Well, everybody. You're going to pay for it on the other side when you have people. I mean, look at the loss of manufacturing jobs. Mm -hmm. You're going to pay for it. The government's going to have to subsidize this on the other side if we don't do it on the front end. Yeah. And so I see that there's a huge opportunity for us to be able to train this next generation so that everybody can be digitally literate. Everybody can code. Everybody can impact our society in a way that makes sense for them. And um, I, again, I think it's going to be really, really important. And um, as a nation, that's going to give us an edge. Mm. You, I mean, the way you've put it before in terms of women is that they, they miss out on the chance to influence what you call the largest economic and social change of the of the century. Yeah. Is it, I, I mean, it's actually interesting when you look over past decades, we had a higher representation of women in tech in the 1980s. Yeah. Like when I was born, it was better than yeah. it is now. Yeah. Well, there's something fundamentally wrong with that. And you've called yeah. for a Sputnik moment. Yeah. What would that look like? What's it going to take? So there's a theory out there that one of the reasons had to do with in the 1980s that when they introduced the home computer, that for some reason, the boys were more likely to play with a home computer, and so they developed a certain amount of expertise. And so the entry-level classes that we now have for computer science assume a certain amount of knowledge. And so when the girls enter it, they sometimes feel like they're at a disadvantage. Mm -hmm. um, and then it becomes a cycle where it becomes harder and harder for them to participate. 
Um, and I, you know, among my five children, which again is like a small data set, um, but I saw this trend. I saw this trend happen too, and I worked really, really hard to correct it. Didn't um, your 10-year-old daughter come home to you and say, like, I hate computers? Yeah, my daughter came home and said, I hate computers. Did you almost fall over? Yeah, and I thought, wow, like, I have this problem at work, and now I have this problem at home. And I thought, well, I gotta focus on the home, right? I need, yeah. to, I need to make this work. How can I be focused on this externally if I have a problem internally? Um, and so I worked on it and I um, initially sent her to this computer camp and then she came home and she's like, I hate computers even more. Oh, no. um, and so I was like, wow, this isn't working. The system isn't set up for, for kids like her to learn how to, um, how to love the computers and, and see the advantages. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that I saw that I wish more girls would see is I saw it as really creative. And so if you saw me as, as a 10 year old kid myself, like I was always into making candles or pot holders or drawing or painting. And then um, when I was in college, I, I discovered that I could use computers to be to creative. Be, yeah. And I was like, wow, I, I can make, I like making stuff. Like let me make stuff with computers. And then I realized, wow, I can make something and it can be used by millions of people all over the world. And that was really, really exciting to me. Um, and I just wish more girls would see that mm -hmm. um, because I think that would give them the spark to realize like, wow, I could create something and I could you know, connect with my friends and I could change my city and I could have my own business. And um, I think there are just so many girls out there that haven't made that connection mm -hmm. but would benefit so much from that Creative. connection. Okay, when it comes to being in the workplace though and rising up the ranks and becoming CEO, mm -hmm. you're a rarity mm -hmm. as a female CEO mm -hmm. of a huge tech company. Mm -hmm. um, You've said men have no special skills. They're not mm -hmm. like they don't have some secret skill that we don't yeah. have. They are, there are more of them and they are more aggressive. Mm -hmm. So what, what do we do to counter that? Yeah, well, I mean, I think, um, you know, I, I, um, from being in the position that I'm in and seeing the women leaders that I see, I know that, um, I know that there's so much potential. I know all the girls that are out there, like they can grow up. If they just have that experience, if they put in the, if they, if they stick with it, I know that they can get there too. Um, and, um, I mean, what led you, how did you get this job? Were there, you know, helpful men helping push you along the way as well? Well, so I, I do think that, you know, A, I was really lucky in a lot of ways. I was really lucky, but I was also really persistent. It's a little um, more than luck. You don't it was both. become CEO because you're lucky. Yeah, it's I part was of lucky, it. I worked hard, and I stuck with it. Okay. Um, it was many, many factors. But I was in the right place at the right time. Sure. And, um, and again, I stuck rent with your, it. You did rent your garage to... Um, Sergey Brin and Larry Page, and they did start Google in your house. Yes, and that was that was um, that was probably more luck than anything else. Um, was it truly because you couldn't, you needed help paying the mortgage? Yeah, it was truly because I needed help paying the mortgage. Thank goodness you weren't rich. No, yeah, it was great. I just graduated from business school. I had to pay for business school, and then I bought a house, which I thought was amazing. I could even afford a house, but I couldn't really afford it, um, which is why I needed to rent it to somebody, part of it. I didn't only right. rented part of it. I lived in the house, and they were there in part of the house as their office. Um, oh. They entered through the garage. Yeah. It's remarkable. It's, it's been remarkable pretty remarkable. Story. But I see a huge opportunity for, um, I mean, I think I got there because I also had great mentors. Um, mm -hmm. And those mentors were men. Those mentors were um, people who saw that I was ambitious and that I had some talent and mm -hmm. that, um, and they invested in me. Mm -hmm. And I always remind people that no matter where they are, they can always influence 
um, the next generation. So if you're in college, you can influence high school students. If you're um, just got a job, you can influence mm -hmm. college students. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I'm a, I benefited by having people by having Google's leaders help me and support me um, to get me to where I am. You actually, you're the CEO of YouTube now, but mm -hmm. you're the one who wrote the business case, the business model for making the acquisition. Mm -hmm. I think you wrote it in like an hour or something. You didn't have Probably a, lot of, a lot of time. You said. Um, do you think you offered a different perspective as a, a woman um, to make that acquisition? Because I, people questioned it at first. Was it yeah. the right move? I mean, oh, I remember yeah. Mark Cuban being like, not smart. Yeah, he said, uh, yeah, he said only a moron would buy YouTube. Um, so yeah, there was, it was definitely very controversial. And um, it was a very confusing time where people were not certain about which way was this going to go yeah. and um, what was happening with YouTube. And I was a big advocate of the acquisition. And I, um, so there were a few things that happened, which was that first of all, um, we had our first hit on what the time we had Google video and um, the first hit was not a Hollywood production it was it was two kids in their dorm room two Chinese students in China um, singing to the Backstreet Boys and they were really funny and everybody laughed everybody who saw it thought it was great um, and it became a, a hit overnight and I realized like wow people want to connect with other people. People like seeing other people's videos. Yeah. And that, that was an insight um, that it doesn't always have to be done in a specific way. It could just be done by regular students. Um, and then I did the, the business model, which I put together in less than an hour, probably. Um, I didn't have a lot of time. We didn't have a lot of time to make a decision. Yeah. Um, and I showed that um, we could cover the top line and just showed if it continued growing, it would be valuable. And um, who's your, who do you think of as your biggest competitor? Is it us? Is it TV? Is it, yeah. who is it? What is it? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest, um, <clears throat> the biggest change is just TV viewing, right? Shifting traditional TV viewing over to platforms like YouTube, where um, everything's on demand, there's lots of choice, it can be global, there can be, um, um, you can build community, there can be fan comments, um, it can be much more interactive. Are we gonna see more and more uh, content creation from YouTube rivaling Netflix in that, or Amazon? Am I gonna be working for you one day? What, what, <laughs> what's gonna, you know, what's the future hold in terms of content creation in-house? Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, I think we're at this really um, amazing period where everyone is creating content. Um, and that's actually really good for all the people who are is that in a the yes? content more creator to, business. More to come? So we do create content right now. Right. Um, YouTube has a subscription service, YouTube Red. Um, it's a music service um, as well as YouTube originals. And what we've been doing is focusing on the YouTube stars and figuring out how do we work with them to take it to the next level. So for example, Lily Singh, um, who's a really popular YouTuber, she made a movie, PewDiePie. Um, last time I checked, I have to keep checking because his subscriber number is, going, is growing so quickly. So last time I checked, he had 48 million. Um, and he did, he's a gamer. And so he did some real life games where he was put in situations and had to be, um, it was like a real life video game. And so that was something different than what he normally does. And mm -hmm. so we've been creating those YouTube originals. And so far, it's been really exciting and really um, good for our platform. So should 
Should Hollywood be scared of you guys, or should they see you as a partner? Is Brad Pitt going to make his next movie on YouTube? I mean, what? It, what? It, it's sort of like the possibilities are endless in terms yeah. of where you take it. Yeah, I mean, I think first of all, we work with most media companies, like traditional media companies.、Us. Yeah,、um, every every media company to enable them <laughs> to put their content on YouTube, and they can reach new audiences. They can have clips. It can inspire them, the users to go and watch them on traditional linear TV.、Um, Um, and so there are many reasons we work with traditional、um, media providers, or they work with us. And then I think for all of the、um, actors and musicians,、um, I mean, YouTube is a platform for them to express who, however they want, and just the freedom of expression. That's a core value of YouTube. And so we want、mm. them all to be able to、um, express their views, create shows. Um, think creatively about how could they partner with a YouTube star or, or more traditional media.、Um, we've been really excited about、um, the way it's just continued to grow. So to be seen, to be continued. Well, well, we'll I think you'll、happens. see us continue to do more original content. Okay. And、um, as you'll see, all the other digital <coughs> providers、sure. also do more original content. And so、sure. um, I think you know there's there's lots of there's lots of content to produce, lots of stories to tell, and、um, we're excited to be part of it. As I wrap up. Two final questions on the future of tech. Where do you fall on AI, on artificial intelligence? What camp are you in?、Um, do you see it as a threat or an opportunity?、Um, because I, you know, as you know, Stephen Hawking, Elon Musk, Bill Gates、mm-hmm. all came out and warned about it. Where、mm-hmm. do you fall, Susan? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think that AI is incredibly powerful, and、um, we see lots of ways. We're investing in it a lot to be able to. Um, make、um, our systems better. For example, to make search smarter,、um, and so I think in the short term there are lots of great benefits, and I think everybody agrees with that.、Um, I mean, I think on the on the the threat, right? The threat that we reach a sing you know a singular moment where AI has more knowledge than us, man and, versus machine, and becomes man versus machine.、Um, I mean, I think that's a really s- scary thought,、um, but. I、um, it's not something that's keeping me up at night right now. Okay. What a, final question on future of tech? What are we not talking about that we should be talking about? What what are no headlines and that and it drives you crazy that why is no one talking about this? I think one of the things that's been really powerful with YouTube that I've really enjoyed seeing,、um, we've been growing in a lot of the emerging markets, and one of the things I've really enjoyed seeing is when you give. The internet and give YouTube to people who never before had it. What do they do with it? And、hmm. there are some just amazing stories about how people are learning skills in ways. Julius Yeager, who became a javelin in Kenya,、um, he wanted to learn javelin,、um, and he learned it from YouTube, and now he's one of the world's best. So that's like an amazing story.、Yeah. Um, we actually did this. Our UX team, our, our UI team, our team that goes and researches how people use the internet and Google. They, they went to India and they gave this one family、um, that had kids. Internet for a week, and then they came back,、um, and they asked them like, "What did you use YouTube for? And what did you research?" And you know, you might have thought, "Oh, the kids were just using games,", games. but they the 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 kids said, "Oh no,、um, I've wanted to build a solar car," and I started researching how to do a solar car. And so, I just think there's tremendous potential 
And for the first time, people have this huge library of learning. And so YouTube as a mechanism for learning anything that you would want to learn mm -hmm. is tremendous. And we really want to make sure that we're delivering that to people all over the world. Sort of the internet is a great equalizer, frankly. It's a great equalizer and it's yeah. a great educational tool. Um, yeah. And so I think we're going to see a lot, of, um, a lot more investment of how that mm -hmm. can really change um, and bring education to parts of the world where otherwise people just could not have learned that yeah. um, set of information. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you I so appreciate much. It. Thanks so much for tuning in to this edition of Boss Files. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Poppy Harlow CNN. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max. A new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.